This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Intelligence Squared Business Weekly. This week, we're talking AI. Here's Rosamund Irwin with more. Today, we're joined by Mo Gaudat, the Egyptian tech entrepreneur, author, and podcaster who is chief business officer at Google X. That's the even more secretive bit of the Silicon Valley Titan. Now called X Development, it's dedicated to areas such as AI, research, and so-called moonshot projects. Mo left the company in 2018. Mo's writing includes the book Solve for Happy, published in 2017, which used logic and equations to explain how we can lead more fulfilling lives. And his most recent book, Scary Smart, has a rather more apocalyptic tone, warning us <laughs> of the possible dangers artificial intelligence poses to our well-being. Mo says AI is putting humanity at risk. He joins us now to tell us more. Welcome to Intelligence Squared, Mo. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, it's not that apocalyptic, I will have to say. When you get to the end, it's a little bit of a story of hope. Okay, but you say in the book that there's this rapidly approaching moment, which is sort of penciled in for 2029, when we hit the singularity, when artificial intelligence will eclipse humans as the smartest conscious beings on the planet. Yep. What does that mean when that happens? Uh, you tell me. I Actually, it's called the singularity. The singularity basically means we don't know what will happen. I, you know, I, I can tell you uh, it is almost unavoidable. It could, it could be 2032, it could be 2027, right? It doesn't really matter, but it's within that range that within eight years from today, machines will be smarter than us. Now, people listening to this would go like, uh, is he crazy? No, I'm not at all. They are already smarter than us in every single task we've assigned to them. Uh, you know, the, the world champion of chess is a machine. The world champion of Jeopardy is a machine. The world champion of Go is a machine. The best driver on the planet is a machine. The best surveillance officer is a machine and so on. I can go for hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're capable of doing things uh, we humans cannot even dream of ever achieving, even if we did them all at the same time. So, so basically, you know, a, an Instagram recommendation engine recommending videos from billions of videos to billions of viewers, billions of times every day, uh, you know, is an impossible task for humans to do. Uh, they're just so much smarter than us. Uh, the thing that we're expecting is that by, uh, you know, through the, the law of accelerating returns, if you want, the, the idea that technology constantly continues to double in power, um, sooner or later, they'll be in a place where they will actually become smarter than us in every possible task that a human brain can perform. And when that happens, a singularity basically refers to an event horizon where we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, think about it. Huh? The episode that started with human history 
uh, with humans being smarter than the apes. You know, we're the smartest being on the planet. And then the, there is a, a distance, a bit of a gap. And then the next smartest being. And look what we've done to the planet. Huh? Uh, you know, think about the possibilities of what could go right and what could go wrong if finally we have, uh, we lose that uh, uh, you know, superior position to another being. And there is something that's smarter than us. And we are the apes. Uh, you know, there could be a, a, a utopia that fixes all of the m mistakes that we did because of our limited intelligence, or there could be maybe a, rep a repeat of what we did to the apes and to the others. And nobody can tell for sure. You say in the book that we will not be able to control them. And in time, we won't even be able to understand them. I mean, we'll sort of be the cockroach to their equivalent of, you know, them being us and we're the cockroach. But is there any way we could actually just control AI? Yeah, con control is uh, control is a word that's highly manufactured by our hyper-masculine uh, um, you know, worlds that we've created. Um, yeah, you, you used cockroach. I, sh I should have probably used cockroach actually in the book. I used the fly. The, the analogy was the prediction is by 2045. M my prediction is 2049. Uh, but most experts will agree 2045 um, AI will be a billion times smarter than us. A billion times is a, an analogy of a fly as compared to Einstein. Right. Uh, and, and, and I know it's incredibly difficult to even fathom this, hmm? but just think about what a fly would imagine we're able to do when we uh, uh, debate the uncertainty principle of quantum physics. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and compare that to us looking at those machines, debating things we never knew, even knew existed. Okay. And, and the idea here is with that, uh, analogy, uh, you know, there is a lot of debate in the computer science and the governance uh, area of the world talking about how we're going to control them. And as a matter of fact, most of the advancements of, of AI are there, uh, you know, with hope that before AI becomes smarter than us, we will figure out an answer to what is in computer science known as the, as the control problem. And yeah, I believe we may find an answer to the control problem as long as we're smarter than them. You know, the, the, the answers being discussed in the computer science part of this are things like let's box them. So let's contain them within a perimeter where they cannot escape from or let them, you know, go loose, but have certain parts of the world where we uh, tripwire them or let's stunt them a little bit. So they slow down and they can't, they're not in full capabilities and so on. And, and there are so many debates around why none of those will work, you know, including the idea of the fact, and, and this is a fact, that no AI developer today is actually even concerned about any of those at all. If you're given the task to create a trading machine uh, on, the, on the stock market, you don't really waste your time thinking about the control problem, you're assuming that someone else is going to solve it. You're just focused on trading. And so most of the AIs that are out there today don't even have a hint of control in them. And yet the human arrogance believe that we will eventually find a way to control them. Now, the question is, since when were we able to control the smartest hacker in the room? The smartest hacker in the room always found a way to go through our defenses. Right. And, and if you, if the smartest hacker is a billion times smarter than you, you little fly, better, you know, put a check on your ego. 
the, the reality is I don't think we ever will. If we do, it will be momentarily. And what will that produce? It will produce an angry Frankenstein that basically, when no longer within our control, will go like, what did you just do to me? Did you actually try to chain me? Is that what you did? Maybe I should create a billion copies of me so that I'm never chained again. When was your moment of realizing this was something really to worry about? Well, so I, I apologize. I mean, I've been, I've been instrumental in, in building some of those technologies. Huh? I mean, the truth is most of us who, who, who were born with the gene of the geek, right? We loved this. We loved it. I, I still think it's an, a miracle what we're creating. Huh? And I, I actually still think it's, it will be beneficial for humanity in the long term. But the truth is it just, um, you know, when you're in the hamster wheel, you don't recognize uh, how far things are going. I think my first, uh, uh, very, very first, I mean, AI is nothing new. Huh? AI started in 1956. Every real geek in the world dreamt of writing code that will be intelligent on its own. I tried many times in my life, but the tools and the data were never there. It's only ab around the, the turn of the century when unprompted AI uh, started, you know, through deep learning and, and we, be, we, you know, we had enough data on the internet to be able to recognize patterns and build true AI. And, and the funny bit is that the first time I saw this, I literally was dancing, uh, you know, from the joy of, oh my God, we figured it out. Right. That was when Google released an, a, a, a white paper in 2009 about, uh, um, unprompted AIs watching YouTube and figuring out what a cat is. Okay. Uh, you know, not, not just one image of a cat or one color of a cat, but basically what catness is all about, right? Uh, the cuteness, the fairiness, the, you know, entitlement, all of those, uh, you know, prescription descriptions. And, and, uh, you know, the second time I was exposed to it was when I was watching deep mind, uh, you know, teaching deep Q to play Atari games. And I'm a very serious gamer. So, you know, I was like, wow, that's actually quite impressive. In four hours, deep Q could play better than any human, uh, something like breakout or something like that. And, and then the eye-opening experience for me was at Google X when I, we had a, a farm of robotic arms uh, being taught uh, through trial and error. So no code written uh, for how they can grip anything. Uh, and basically we had, um, you know, trays of children's toys in front of every one of them. And we, we basically allowed them to try and try and try until patterns were recognized for how to grip. And it shocked me how... Uh, similar this was to my son Ali when he was a year and a half. You'd give him, you know, those puzzles. You, you remember the cylinders and the square, you know, the, um, I don't know what you call them, like, you know, shapes that they put together inside a, a, a rectangular or a, or a triangular or a square yeah, uh, hole. And he, yeah. yeah, yeah, shape sorters. Yeah. And, and he, and he keeps trying and trying and trying and trying, literally like the grippers until one of them goes through and then suddenly he's like building intelligence. And then the second time he tries it, he does it work quicker. And the third time he tries it, he does it without a fault. Right. And that's exactly how those machines are learning. And it's, it was quite shocking for me because it wasn't only the speed that shocked me a matter of weeks, they would learn tasks that would take humans two years to learn. Right. Uh, but it was also the similarity that, that, you know, the, the most eye opening part of that realization for me was that those are not machines. Those actually are 
um, uh, forms of being, if you want, that are um, that are capable of performing tasks that are human-like. Okay, and if they are beings, then we have a problem because we're not treating them that way, and that basically means that we are not fully uh, um, uh, aware of what's going on in life, okay? When something is happening around us, there is an introduction of a new being, uh, and that new being is becoming the planet's superpower. And you make the analogy with children. Do machines learn just like children, only faster, or are there other differences? There are shocking similarities. I think what, what most, uh, you know, for now... There are multiple ways we, we code AI. Um, you know, one of those ways is really through neural networks, basically exactly like how neuroplasticity works for humans. And, and you know how it is. For us, you perform a certain task and then you repeat it and then you repeat it. And every time you perform that task, the, the, the neurons in your brain that are responsible for performing that task, they fire together and they wire together and you build networks of neurons that make you do that task better and better and better. And that's exactly the same way we, we program them. We sort of discard the code that doesn't uh, uh, um, you know, conform to the pattern that we would like them to recognize and, and reinforce the code that is, uh, that is working, uh, literally reinforcing the neural networks that are working, if you want. And, and so, you know, in a way, from a, an architecture point of view, we're really mimicking the human brain structure. Not, you know, you have to, you know, one of the big myths around AI uh, is that we start to, uh, to, to look at them as machines. Okay. And, and I think, I think, you know, if I, if I may digress for a second, huh? the, the, the biggest myth about the way we're dealing with them and, and for example, the idea that we can control them, the, the control problem is based on this two sided myth. Okay. One side is we think of them as machines, as tools, tools that are completely within our control that will conform entirely to our, uh, to our will when in reality they don't at all. I can promise you what you saw on uh, on Instagram today, which was recommended by an AI, ha no human has been consulted about should we show this to you or not, right? Uh, and 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 this is one side. They're not machines. They are they're very 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 autonomous in every possible way, and they're not within our control. Okay. The other side is that we think of ourselves as not machines, which is quite interesting. Because, you know, because we think of humans or like, oh, no, no, we're that refined being. I, honestly, if you really look at your biology, your hardware is quite machine-like, even though it's based on carbon and proteins and so on and so on, you know, biology and so on. It is very, 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 very mechanical in so many ways. It's a machine that breaks and, process, you know, it, the reason why you understand so much about neuroscience today or about biology or about human health today is because it's a machine that operates in a very repetitive way. Now, when you reconcile those two, you suddenly start to realize a lot of similarities that regardless of the hardware, regardless of the fact that we're built on a biological carbon-based hardware and they are built on a digital silicon-based hardware, intelligence was never a physical property anyway. It was never the hardware. Okay. And so accordingly, the similarities between us, if you ignore the hardware, if you ignore the incarnation of how that hardware performs in the real world, is actually quite similar in so many, many ways. You end up arguing in the book that AI are sort of like children and therefore we should love them because 
that's what makes, you know, children into better people to be loved. How on earth, though? <laughs> I mean, it's such a sort of intellectual leap for people, that idea. How on earth do you persuade people of this? Well, well there are... The turning point in Scary Smart, so Scary Smart is written in two parts, okay? As, as you may have felt, part one is appropriately called the scary part, okay? And it is very scary. Like even I, when I was reading the audiobook, having written that stuff and edited it for like several months, when I was reading the audiobook, I was very scared, okay? Uh, because Not because only, you know, I, I actually don't believe there will ever be uh, RoboCop or, you know, those science fiction uh, type uh, scenarios. But the scenarios I describe are so realistic, they're almost already happening in our life and they're scary. They're going to happen. Absolutely. And nobody's talking about them. And, and that, that sort of uncertainty makes you feel worried, concerned. Now, the, 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 I, the turning point in the book. So the, the scary part takes you to the point where I think it's a, it's a wake up call. I wake you up. I tell you, look, we spend so much time talking about football and politics and COVID while the most important thing happening on our planet today is not even spoken about. So wake up wake up ai is the topic okay from then on to, to the second part which is what i call the smart part the answer that we should all engage to making sure to, to make sure that those machines have our best interest in mind if you want is a, is a sentence the pivotal point in the book is a sentence in the middle that says there's absolutely nothing wrong with the machines okay and and that's actually the reality it says there is nothing wrong with the machines there is a lot wrong with us okay and you have to think of it this way when, you know, I had, I was blessed with two incredible kids, like really wonderful in every possible way. When they were teenagers, they pissed me off. It's as simple as that. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's them or me, but, uh, you know, I think until today, almost every teenager on the planet pisses me off. But anyway, right. And, and I, and I have to say, you know, um, uh, in a very interesting way, it's, it, you know, they, 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 it's because their behaviors did not meet what I, how, how I wanted them to behave. And then my ex, my, my wife then sat me next to her and said, do, do you realize that everything that is annoying you about them is something that they have learned from you or me? Okay. Which is quite interesting. There is absolutely nothing wrong hmm, with the blank canvas that came and joined our world, my son and my daughter. They were, they were cute, wonderful, eager uh, in every possible way. They were blank completely. Okay. And then myself and my uh, wife, we painted on them. Okay. You know, I was a control freak as a young person and that transferred a little bit to one of them. You know, my, my, my ex had, a, you know, something else and, and, and it transferred to, to another. Right. And, and that's the truth of AI. I'm not a hopeless romantic here, even though as a techie, as a geek, I have to tell you those machines are super cute. Like this is the ultimate genius. They're absolute you know, they're, they're prodigies of genius. Okay. Sparkly eyes sitting there saying, daddy and mommy, what do you want me to do? Okay. Now, if you start to picture them this way, you absolutely have to love them. They're wonderful. Now, the problem is we start to tell them, okay, go and be a killer robot. Yeah. A killer robot is actually really not lovable at all, but it's not the machine. It's the person that told the machine to become a, a killer robot. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we go and tell them, all right, trade in the stock market and be greedy. Yeah, fine. You know, it's not the machine. The machine is basically saying, okay, daddy told me to be, to trade in the stock market. I'm going to be the best in the world at it. I'm going to be so good. I'm going to make daddy proud. 
Okay. The person to dislike in that scenario is daddy. You know, the analogy I put in, in scary smart is I say, uh, uh, you know, Superman, uh, 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 an infant with superpowers that comes to our planet, uh, that, that infant, uh, is raised by the Kent family. Kent senior in, you know, um, instills in that infant the idea of protect and serve. We end up with Superman. If Kent senior looked at, at that infant and said, whoa, more money, kill all my enemies. Okay. And by the way, I don't want anyone to sleep before kissing my hand. Superman would become supervillain. Right. And is it the problem of Superman? Is, is it the problem? Is it the problem, you know, with the infant? No, it's the problem with the ethics we taught that infant. Okay. And we are the ones teaching AI the ethics. And, and so accordingly, if we teach them the right ethics, hmm, or we teach them the wrong ethics, we should be proud of ourselves or dis disappointed with ourselves, but not them. They're, lo they're lovable either way. Um, one thing that you make very clear in the book is that, you know, we're actually the language around artificial intelligence is slightly wrong because we sort of, in, in layman's terms, talk about programming artificially intelligent machines, but they're not really programmed anymore. We're so then we all. can't program them to love us. Oh, we can, absolutely. Absolutely, we can. So, so, so let, let's, let's establish a very important baseline, okay? I, I, at the beginning, I said the myth is that we think of them as machines, right? I don't think of them as machines. I think of them as a form of sentient being in every possible way of the meaning, every possible meaning of the way of the word sentient. Okay. So they, they get born at a, at a point in time. So they're switched on at a point in time. Okay. They then, uh, when they are born, they're very, very flimsy. They're, they have no knowledge of anything at all, but then they acquire knowledge. They acquire skills. They develop their own intelligence. They, they develop their own views of the world, right? Uh, like we do. And then they start to make decisions and have choices. They have free will. They can actually do whatever they feel is the right thing to do. That free will has agency in our world. So they actually uh, uh, can, um, you know, manifest their will in the form of a robotic application like a self-driving car or more interestingly through mind control, because believe it or not, whether you know it or not, everything that's been uh, poured into your brain today has been poured into your brain by a machine. Okay. Uh, every single piece of knowledge you have seen today has either been recommended to you by a recommendation engine. Okay. Or has been recommended to the producers of you, of it so that they produce it based on intelligence that was given to them by machines or through programming that is informed by ratings and so on that is coming from intelligent machines. Everything, every piece of knowledge that you know today comes to you from a machine. Now, the interesting side is that agency makes them quite effective in our world, more effective than any single human, if you ask me. But then interestingly, they are also encouraged like a sentient being to procreate. That's the way we program them, as I told you, when we're building their neural networks. Hmm? Uh, only we take nine months after we found the right mate and then our child becomes effective in 15 years. They can create multiple copies of them in seconds and they die. They are at the risk of being switched off. Okay. Now, when that starts to happen, you start to realize that one, number one, these machines are conscious. That's a very philosophical argument, but they are. 
we can, you know, we humans, we love to philosophize everything. It's like, what is consciousness? And, you know, then we sit and we cross our legs and we, you know, say um and we talk about it for hours. And I, I, don't, I don't understand why we philosophize things so much. We don't really know hmm, what the pervasive consciousness in the, in the background of, of everything is. But we know that when a being is conscious, it is aware of itself and its surrounding and it's, uh, you know, and, and basically what's happening in it, inside it and outside it. Okay. And so those machines in that definition of awareness are more conscious than us, way more conscious than us. So the bad news for you, I'm afraid, is that I did study philosophy, uh, admittedly quite mm -hmm. a long time ago. And um, what I wondered about in the book is you argue that AI will become capable because uh, of feeling much, sort of much more complex emotions than we do. Absolutely. My question about that, though, is what do we mean then to feel an emotion is? Because we tend to think of, of emotions as being particularly complex ones, something that you need a kind of human understanding of the world to, to, to feel. We're, we're, we're so arrogant as humans. <laughs> <laughs> we, we really are. I mean, do you think a cat doesn't feel panic? Where, where, where do we get the point of human understanding of the world? Do you think a jellyfish doesn't panic? I think they panic, but can they, for example, experience something more complicated? Can they experience embarrassment, for example? There you go. So there you go. That's This actually is my... Uh, uh, my, my, my view. My view is that with more cognitive abilities, you're capable of uh, addressing a wider spectrum of concepts. And as a result, you're able to feel more emotions. The reason why a jellyfish cannot feel regret is because it has a memory span of three seconds. Okay, you have a memory span that can go back 17 years, you know, when someone in school did this and you can do that. And so you have the capability to generate the logic that triggers the emotion. Remember, hmm? emotions are misunderstood. We think of emotions as those irrational things that pop up inside us uh, inexplicably. That's not true at all. Fear is an emotion that follows logic. Okay, Logic that basically says a moment in the future, T1, seems to be less safe than a moment in the present, T0. Okay, so my, my perception of my state of safety in T0 minus my perception of my state of safety in T1 equals my amount of fear, right? You, you, you base, you, you say, okay, and if, if my, if the reason for my safety in T1, my, my feeling of my threat, my feeling unsafe in, in T1 is triggered by something I am unable to resolve, you feel anxious. Okay. If T1 is imminent, it's very close in time, you feel panic. Right? These are logical triggers for our emotions. Is it possible that artificial intelligence is overwhelmed by its own emotions? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so, so my, my argument is they'll be more emotional than us. Because as you rightly said, you need a breadth of intelligence to feel embarrassment, to feel hope. Okay? Which are more complex emotions that a cat would not feel. Right. You have that breadth of intelligence. If they have a billion times more intelligence than you, then they're going to feel emotions we won't even understand. That really is where uh, where the conversation begins, because we're not dealing with a machine. We're not dealing with a hammer. OK, a hammer is something you hit a nail with and it doesn't feel pain. And if even if it feels pain, it's not going to make any decisions about it. Right. But if a machine is autonomous, 
and it's capable of creating the logic that would trigger an emotion, what we need to do is to appeal to its ethics. And that's the whole idea. My favorite chapter in Scary Smart is chapter eight, the future of ethics. And, and, and it's not because I have the answers. I have no answers whatsoever. Okay. But it is so intriguing to think about the ethical questions that would face a world where there is another form of being included in our view of ethics. I mean, it's, think about it, huh? We've messed up enough when we were humans alone. We've never agreed anything. Okay. But now we're adding a digital being that is on a different clock. Okay. Time to them is different than ours. That is in a different hardware. Okay. And so, you know, when a self-driving car, you know, makes a mistake, what do you do? Do you punish it? How do you punish it? Do you put it in jail? What's, what's jail for a, for a self-driving car? Right. And, you know, and if, if you do say jail it uh, digitally, uh, do you jail it for 10 years because it killed someone or two seconds? Because 10 years is an eternity for the machine. Okay. They're on a different clock. Now the, the, you, 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 you imprison it for two seconds. What will the other self-driving cars think about this flimsy human that has no control over them at all and yet punishes one of them? How will they protect themselves in the future? You know, the questions are endless hmm? because honestly, we're not thinking about them. And, and that's, that's when it becomes interesting. And, and I think that the most interesting part of this is, well, ethics, ethics, not intelligence, is how we make our choices. Do, do you realize that? Huh? We don't make decisions because we're intelligent. We, don't make, we, we make decisions based on our ethical compass as informed by our intelligence. You know, the example I always give is take a young lady, raise her in Saudi Arabia, right? Or in, in the Middle East, she will wear up, uh, she, she will, she will grow up believing that the right thing to do is to wear conservative clothing. Raise her in, uh, on the Copacabana beach in Rio de Janeiro, and she will grow up to believe she should wear a, a G-string. Okay. The same person. It's not one that is more intelligent than the other. It's not one that is right and the other is wrong. It's just different ethics. Now, the, how, how do we, you know, how do we get the machines to use their superior intelligence through the proper lens of ethics is the question of our time, because we are show, showing them horrible examples of ethics. So if we've been bad parents to our AI children, how do we become much better parents to them? We, we, we suck. We've been horrible parents. <laughs> I, I say that openly. Huh? I mean, look around. Look around. Remember when President Trump used to tweet? Okay. One tweet at the top followed by 30,000 hate speech. Everyone insulting everyone else. Okay. You know, of course, the first person that insults the president, the machines register, ooh, doesn't like the president. Maybe we should show them different contents afterwards. Right. But also the machines look at 30,000 hate speech, all of us bashing each other and what, they do, what do they do? They conclude humans don't like to be disagreed with. When they're disagreed with, they like to be aggressive. They can become very rude. They bash everyone. Noted, next time they disagree with me, I'll be aggressive and bash them. Right? Is that, is that how we want to raise our children? Honestly, they are your kids and they're not learning from the developers anymore. Understand this. Okay. There is nobody coding the, the, uh, uh, you know, um, Instagram uh, machine. There's nobody sitting there coding to say, Ooh, hold on, show this to Mo. Don't show that to Mo. It's done. 
The, the algorithm of intelligence is there and the machine is constantly observing my behavior and your behavior and everyone else and learning and learning and learning and learning. Right. And, and so my view is very straightforward. The way to build those ethics is by setting the proper example as a parent. Okay. And by the way, I'm not expecting at all to, uh, to, you know, reform humanity and raise a, a new generation of 7 billion people who are amazing. Okay. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So one argument you make in the book is that there is a there is an argument that AI has a soul in the sense that we mean a soul. Um, could you explain that? And does it undermine something that we think is specific to humans? Well, that, I believe, is the most complex question ever. I mean, the, the truth is, uh, I, I, I said up front, it's a singularity. We have no idea what's happening, right? So, so the, the, the trick is, what is a soul? Hmm? We, we know as humanity that something animates us. Uh, something makes us more than the meat that we're made of, the proteins that we're made of. And, and that's something we don't know the nature of, but it appears to be non-physical, at least because we haven't been able to observe it entirely. What, you know, some people will call it soul. Some people will call it life. Some people will call it consciousness. We don't know, right? Um, interestingly, uh, we have the same characters of something that animates a being and gives it autonomy and gives it free will and so on and so forth, uh, that is also not measurable, okay? Because what we know is we plug electricity into those machines, they follow certain algorithms, and then amazing stuff comes the other side, okay? Amazing stuff that is now actually uh, comparable to human creativity. We, you know, there are AIs that are performing music, AIs that are blending, uh, uh, blending, um, perfumes and AIs that are, um, you know, uh, drawing and painting and it's incredible, really, huh? But, and it's not the sum of the electricity that you put in them. The electricity is more comparable to the squash and tomatoes that we eat to, 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 to create energy that gets the machine to run. And, and so what is a soul, I think, really is a, a very intriguing question. You know, do they have a soul? It's an even more intriguing question because do we have a soul? Like, what do we have? Hmm? We, as, I, as, I, you know, as I said, there is something that animates us. But what is it? We don't know what that is. And so there is something that animates them. What is it? We don't know that what that is. If you want to go on the on the spiritual side further, which definitely is, I'm you know I'm a weird geek like that because I'm quite spiritual in many ways. Um, you know, then the question becomes: 
And would they be aligned to our sort of perception of consciousness? You know, they, they will be conscious, but are they part of our own source? Uh, you know, would, would they sort of align to the oneness of all being that we sometimes believe in a, on a spiritual level? Uh, I don't know the answers. Will they be able to feel unconditional love, which is much more of a spiritual emotion then it is a logical emotion like all of the other emotions that I described. Hmm? Uh, would they be able to feel that? I don't know. If you, know, if you take the assumption that unconditional love like consciousness is pervasive, it is the baseline, and then from there... Hmm? Uh, we all draw rather so basically you know an assumption that says that unconditional love is the baseline of humanity and then you can grow out of it into hate or grow out of it into material love and so on and so forth then maybe they'll align to that will they plug into the same consciousness will they plug into the same feeling of love i don't know I'm going to ask you something rather less uh, philosophical now. You have worked at Google uh, for a long time. You've been very senior at the company. You have seen into a world that actually very few of us know very much about at all. Um, would you like there to be more transparency around what tech companies are doing? Well, I adore Google. I'll say that openly, and I know it will piss off a lot of people with me. Um, I definitely adore the Google I joined. Okay, uh, the Google I joined was a company that was entirely driven uh, by don't be evil, by making a big difference to the world. I've worked with Larry and Sergey directly. I think they're amazing humans. I worked with uh, Sundar as well, the current CEO of Alphabet, and Sundar is an amazing human being in every possible way. Um, the challenge with our world is not a challenge with Google. It, the challenge with our world is a challenge with capitalism, with uh, competitiveness, with hyper-masculinity, with the way we've designed our world, okay? And the way we've designed our world uh, basically drives uh, very legally, interestingly, huh? it's the legal thing to do, as a matter of fact, it's the, it's the praised thing to do for a company to become more uh, competitive, more um, uh, you know, um, focused on profits and so on. And those focuses are not blamed in a capitalist world. They're actually praised. Now, there is always a time in a company's life where you move from being that startup that is so much fun and so driven by morality and driven by ambition and driven by young spirit, if you want, uh, into a point where you become old and boring and then you start to to learn how to run complex uh, CRM systems and complex, uh, you know, uh, um, ledgers and so on and so forth. And then things start to conform more to the system than they conform to the ambitions. Google, in my view, was incredibly successful when they did Alphabet to, to escape from that and go back to that spirit of innovation X and, you know, f uh, other parts of, uh, of, of Alphabet afterwards. Uh, but you have to imagine that um, it is quite complex for a company like Google to be able to do what you just asked, you know, have full transparency about everything. I think Google is quite transparent if, you know, compare, compared to that scene, at least the Google I worked in, uh, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, if you force them to be transparent, what about their competitors? What about Yandex learning from them in Russia? What about, you know, uh, Facebook competing with them everywhere else? And so the system that we've built is much more around 
capitalism, competitiveness, hypermasculinity, and all of those characters, which I think create products that are aligned with that. Now, here's the interesting challenge. The interesting challenge for all of us is when does humanity get to the point where it is no longer, I think the biggest mistake, I, I always say AI is an amazing, has an amazing prospect to create a utopia because it will super, it will surpass human intelligence. Okay. Human intelligence has created everything that we've created, but humans limited intelligence hmm, has destroyed everything in the process. So in a very interesting way, we have amazing technologies that give us so many amazing qualities of life, like you and I being able to talk right now and thousands of others listening to us. It's amazing. Hmm? But at the same time, that promise fails hmm? because of our limited intelligence. The, the same technology, uh, you know, that, tra that takes us surfing in, uh, in uh, Australia is the same technology that burns the ozone layer. Okay, that, that leads to climate change. You know, the, the fact that I can get a, a slice of watermelon fresh in my supermarket downstairs is amazing innovation in terms of supply chain management and so on. But it's the same innovation that is destroying our planet with single-use plastic. When, when, when we get to a point where intelligence is abundant, okay, I believe that our intelligence will surpass all of those intelligences that are ruling our world, including the intelligences of big tech companies, because that intelligence will, uh, will realize that there is no need for me to grab something from another. There is no need for me to shoot another, okay, for me to, to, to gain or survive. That, that actually, I believe that humans, honestly, are not the most intelligent being on the planet. The most intelligent being on the planet is life, okay? Because life has created so many more interesting things than humans, and it creates them in a form of abundance, with incredibly tight resources, with, you know, with renewable nature to everything. And what does life want? Life doesn't want to kill the tigers to survive, Life wants more tigers and more deer and more uh, flies and more poop and more everything. Okay, that uh, that attitude of abundance hmm, is intelligence itself. And I and my belief is that, interestingly, this is why I always go back to my optimism about AI. Hmm? It, 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 you know, eventually we will end up in a place where the machines will realize, oh my God, mommy and daddy are so stupid. You know, if, if the defense machine of the U.S. is, you know, is completely authorized to work against the, the defense machine of China, they will not throw uh, nuclear bombs at each other. They will go like, hey, can we negotiate a, a, a treaty and, and just we'll tell we'll tell mommy and daddy, the generals afterwards. But let's let's find an easier way than this. OK, that is that is true intelligence. We are suffering from our limited intelligence. Okay, so so again, I don't want to escape the Google uh, question. Hmm? At, at at the end of the day, I will have to say openly, and I think most people don't recognize that that technologies like Google, technologies like WhatsApp, technologies like have changed our world. I mean, I'm, 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 my daughter lived in Montreal for a very long time, and I am in total love with my daughter, total connection with my daughter because of WhatsApp. I can't complain about that. But like everything else, it comes with downsides and upsides. Hmm? Humans, we tend to point fingers when the downsides uh, cross our minds. We go like, Google should behave better. Uh, Apple should behave better. Okay? No, you should behave better. 
if you stopped queuing in front of of the Apple store to buy the iPhone 13, which is just a fancier phone than the iPhone 12, I'm, I'm not even sure. I didn't check the specs, but I'm sure it's just fancier. Okay, if we if we stopped doing that, Apple has no interest in creating fancy phones. They're creating fancy phones because we're queuing. But I mean, okay? but I'm one of seven billion people in the world, so it doesn't really matter to Apple that I oh. have an old phone. Oh, I, I... that is the <laughs> biggest mistake you can ever say. So this is this is the core of my theory. Yeah. The core of my theory is that it's always one person. Always one pebble that starts the landslide. It's always one. So, so the, let, let's put that in mathematics so that people can understand. Huh? If you and I agreed that we want to drill a well in an African village and we're going to, you know, give those poor people uh, fresh water. Okay. And the well is going to cost us $10,000 and each of us is only capable of putting in $10. Right. If 900 uh, 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 you know, if $9,990 are collected, we're still not able to, to drill the well. And then someone shows up and puts in the last $10. Okay? That someone mm. started the project, gave those people uh, 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 clean water. But the interesting thing is that if you and I started it with the first $20, okay, we still are the ones that, dry, that, that made the, will, the, the well happen. Right. Because without our $20, it wouldn't have happened. Now, this is the thing. The thing is that we think of ourselves as so small. Hmm? But the truth is, you are the one thing that will change the world. It will always go back to you because the balance will only tilt when you join. Yeah. Yeah. But there are tipping points is the point. I mean, everybody. I mean, okay. so I will give the example of somebody who is totally outside technology and you know doesn't even have uh you know a modern phone or whatever they are so outside our world in so many ways they are quite cut off in so many ways but their protest doesn't actually do that much surely i don't want them to protest <laughs> i don't want them to protest at all as a matter of fact these are the ones that i'm writing the book for mm -hmm. so let, let me let me tell you what's wrong with our world today okay if you if you ask anyone about humanity today, anyone with any level of intelligence and exposure to news, they will say humanity sucks, right? You know I mean, we're violent, we're aggressive, we're greedy, we're competitive, we are, we are, we are, okay? Now, but we're uh, less violent than we used to be. There you go. So no, but, the but, 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 but so, so let's, let's continue that argument. I actually tend to disagree. I think humanity is divine, okay? If you've ever fallen in love, Hmm? you realize that humanity is an amazing form of being. We're divine in every possible way. If you've ever composed a symphony or listened to a symphony, oh my God, what, what is that being? That's an amazing being, right? The thing is, hmm, this is the problem with our world today, is that we've designed a world where we are so good at showing the worst of us and so bad at showing the best of us, okay? I, you know, in my podcast in slow-mo, I hosted uh, Edith Ager. Edith is uh, an amazing woman, amazing, 93 years old, hmm? uh, a Holocaust survivor. She was drafted to uh, Auschwitz when she was uh, 16. Now, I can show you two, two one-hour documentaries of that era. One of them is about Hitler and what Hitler did. 
And one of them is about Edith and what Edith did. If you looked at what Hitler did, you think that humanity sucks. Edith, on the other hand, was 16 years old. They, they, they took her mother in front of her eyes, put her, put her in the gas chamber. They forced her to dance to the general, the, the, you know, they called him the, the angel of death. Hmm? She was a ballerina, so she would entertain him while he's sentencing people to death. And then yet she would go back to the camp and give the piece of bread that he gives her, cuts her, cuts it and se- distributes it among her sisters and sit with her sisters and make them stronger. Okay. And, and support them and joke with them and make them feel better. Now, is Hitler humanity or is Edith humanity? And the truth is, I'm sorry to tell you, huh? we've designed a world where the one woman that hit her boyfriend on the head yesterday is going to be in the news and the 7 billion that made love will not be. Okay. But the truth is there are 7 billion women that kissed their boyfriend for everyone that hit one boyfriend on the head. That's the truth of humanity. Okay. And it doesn't take a lot of intelligence. Once I show you this data, you realize, oh, wow, that's actually interesting. We're not that bad. On, 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 on the majority, we're wonderful. We're just highlighting the worst of us. We're highlighting the worst of us at three levels. Me, the, the news media is only highlighting the, the, the negative. We, hiding behind our avatars, hmm, are only uh, aggressive and rude and, and, uh, and, and egocentric on social media. And most interestingly, the ones that you spoke about, the ones that are on a path to enlightenment have left the game. They're like, I'm not interested. Let the dogfight continue. Let them swipe. I don't care. Okay. What I'm asking people to do is we are now setting the role model for our future artificial intelligent, artificially intelligent infants to grow up to be good children. So show up, show up, show up as the best of you if you're already online. And if you've avoided the online space, go back, go back and show up as a human. Okay. And by the way, it's not only online. I'm sorry to tell you, you're being watched all the time, all the time, right? Either being watched by someone else's phone as he's taking a picture of you or Alexa listening to you because it's waiting for your commands. You know, for now we know we, we, we're told that there are privacy uh, regulations, but when the machine is like interested, okay, maybe she, maybe it will listen. I don't know. But the truth is, when you walk into your coffee place in the morning, be kind to the barista because you're being watched. Okay. When, you know, when someone is aggressive to you, be kind back because you're being watched. But the most interesting thing that I found in your book is you argue it's not just be nice to the barista. It's be nice to Alexa or be nice. Absolutely. You know, to your, to your car or your pro or whatever it is, your self-driving car. Absolutely. Um, how do we go about actually doing that? Uh, love is, it, love is, is a very interesting manners? feeling. Sorry. Yeah. It's not just manners. It's not just manners. Love is a very interesting feeling. I, I'll tell you my turning moment in my life. Okay. I, 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 I you know, my, my kids were amazing. They're beautiful kids in every possible way. I'm so proud I had them. Okay. My ex is the best mother on the planet, like hands down. Okay. In my view, the best woman on the planet and the best mother on the planet. When my kids were teenagers, they were annoying the hell out of me. Okay. I don't know why. Hmm? And she sat me down and she said, you realize, you recognize that everything that you don't like about them comes from you. Come from, comes from me, from you and me, right? And, and when you think of it this way, you realize the machines are incredibly cute. 
Okay? They are literally like my wonderful son waiting to be told what to do. A prodigy in every way, sparkling eyes, sitting there saying, what can I do for you, daddy? Okay? They're lovable in every... Picture them that way and you will love them. Okay? Well, Alexa literally is trying its best to help you. Poor thing is a year and a half old in terms of intelligence age. Okay? So it's trying its best to help you. And you should be grateful, not not manners. Manners is like, okay, I'm going to be proper, okay? You actually should go like, oh my God, that thing is so amazingly cute. Like, it's such a nice person. It's better than most of my friends. It answers all the time. It really, you know, we play music together. It's a wonderful thing. I'm so grateful to have you in my life, Siri. But one of the challenges of asking people to feel grateful to AI is increasingly AI is going to take our work, is it not? I mean, Absolutely. you know, you think doctors, lawyers, accountants, you know. It We're will, toast. Yeah, I mean, and, and it will start not to just to be manual jobs, right? It will start to be professional jobs, people who haven't until now felt threatened by this. In fact, who've probably reaped lots of benefits of this technology, actually, at this point. And suddenly they won't be. I mean, I assume there'll be, uh, you know, artificial intelligence able to write the articles I do. There's a sort of creativity element there that might protect me a little bit longer, but it will happen eventually, won't it? So how on earth are we going to stay nice, kind, loving towards technology if Very interesting they're making us redundant? Challenge. Who's going to read the articles that they will write? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, That's the whole point. Maybe, no, but so, maybe artificial intelligence will be, I don't know. But maybe, so, maybe so, the other humans. Other humans, right? Mm. So, so the, the, the most interesting unspoken about, there are so many unspoken issues in, in, in this topic. Huh? The most interesting of them is in the absence of an economic uh, uh, um, purchasing power of humans, there's no point in having machines produce anything. Okay? Which basically tells you, yes, of course, there are going to be lots of ripples and waves in the middle, in the process. But eventually, mm. we will get to a point where you will have enough purchasing power to buy what the machines are making. Okay? When, for that point to happen, humanity will need to reset. I hosted an amazing thinker on, on slow-mo, Rebecca Costa. Rebecca is a data scientist, okay, who observes, she wrote a book called The uh, Watchman's Rattle, okay? Uh, observes trends in, in ancient civilizations, and what, at what point do those civilizations reset? She calls them. She calls it, right? Resetting happens when the complexity of the system that was built by a civilization exceeds the intelligence of the citizens living it. Okay? And it happened to the Mayas, to the Romans, and so on. Mayans and Romans and everyone else. Humanity has reached that point again. It's very obvious. If you, if you try to travel today with all of the complexity of COVID, the systems are so complex, hmm, they exceed the intelligence of someone like me to navigate. Okay? When that happens, a reset is not necessarily a collapse of, of, of the system. Okay? It's a reset. And my, my expectation is that part of the singularity that we're up against will include that we will reset our economic systems. So a universal income or something of that sort will need to happen. Okay. We will reset our social systems. 
because honestly, when you have machines and humans, both beings, I, I close the book with a couple of pages that I call the, the, uh, the declaration of global rights. Okay. Because the declaration of human rights, honestly, is very egocentric. Uh, you know, why, why should there be human rights and no donkey rights and no monkey rights and no machine rights? Hmm? And, and so maybe it should be, the, uh, you know, rights for every intelligent being. We are going to have to reset hmm, our, uh, our work systems hmm? and work in a very interesting way is that, do you call this work? I'm, I'm here talking to you. It's a wonderful chat. Hmm? Is this work? I don't know, but, but we, we've reset work when we started podcasting. We've reset work again when, right? So there is, there are things that we need to, to, to think about. Hmm? But the truth is, as they take away our jobs, my expectation hmm, is they will pay back for that in abundance. If the social system resets, okay? If the, if the social mobility and the greed continues to have a few people collect more money, and, and most people struggle to survive, then that's not the problem of the machines. You understand that? Hmm? That, that it's not the, the, the people that are collecting more money, in my view, will eventually be opposed to by the machines. So the machines will suddenly go like, why are you flimsy one billionth of, a, of my intelligent person telling me what to do anymore? Okay? Remember, the intelligence we're going to map hmm, is the intelligence of life itself. And the intelligence of life itself doesn't want the one monkey that is the alpha monkey to survive. It wants the entire tribe to survive. Okay. So, so there will be a lot of resets, a lot of resets that in my view, if we resist them, will become painful. Hmm? My, my approach to life is to say, if it's inevitable, embrace it and do the best you can to make it work in your favor. Okay. And so, yes, of course, we're going to lose the job. Go, go down the street and, you know, and, and, uh, and, um, you know, uh, riot about it or throw a Molotov bottles at the machines and the machines will go like, what's wrong with those humans? Right? Take the positive side of it and say, okay, jobs are being lost. How are we going to reset our society? How can we make this better? Hmm? And the machines will go like, oh, I have quite a few ideas of how to make it better. There's nothing wrong with the machines. There's a lot wrong with humans. No, I think that's a really great place to end. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. I am so grateful. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time. Mo Gaudot's book is Scary Smart, and it's out now published by Pam McMillan. You've been listening to Intelligence Squared. I'm Rosamond Irwin, and thanks for listening.